Hello, and welcome to AJC Passport, brought to you by AJC, the diplomatic arm of the Jewish community. Each week, we'll chat with experts from around the world to help you better understand the week's headlines and what they all mean for Israel and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. China is quickly rising to superpower status on the world stage. Its economy is booming. It's spreading its influence around the world. It may be on a collision course with the current dominant superpower, the United States. And there is perhaps no country that better punches above its weight from an economic, technological, and military perspective than Israel. That's why it is significant that China's vice president, Wang Qishun, came to Israel this week. Though the role of vice president is largely ceremonial, Wang is considered to be a powerful figure because of his close ties with President Xi Jinping. It's been nearly two decades since a Chinese figure of Wang's standing has come to Israel. Joining us now to discuss this trip and the future of Sino-Israel relations is Mercy Kuo. Mercy is a former Asian affairs analyst at the CIA who now leads the Washington State China Relations Council and is a member of the advisory board of AJC's Asia Pacific Institute. Mercy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're talking now about the Innovation Summit that Chinese Vice President Wang Qishun attended in Israel, in Tel Aviv. Can you tell us a bit more about this event? This event was the fourth meeting between Israel and China of the Joint Committee on Innovation Cooperation, which Wang Qishun, who is China's Vice President, co-chairs along with Prime Minister Netanyahu. The importance of this uh, organization or this entity, the JCIC, Joint Committee on Innovation Cooperation, is will have long-term effect as well as immediate effect. The result of the uh, meeting this time during in October was that eight joint agreements were signed between China and Israel in the fields of science and technology, the life sciences, innovation, digital health, and agriculture. In addition, uh, there's been, they, they signed an innovation conference of 2018 to 2021 action plan. So a lot of uh, strong outcomes resulted from this visit. And it sounds like, based on the fact that this is, you said, the fourth time that this is meeting and that they've had engagement in the past, um, that this is not the first glimmer of China and Israel working together, but really China has turned its attention to Israel. Why do you think that is? Well, there's both a historic interest as well as increasingly an interest, bilateral interest in innovation technology on both sides. If we look within the recent, I'd say, beginning in 2011, there have been a number of high-level acquisitions of Israeli uh, innovation by Chinese entities. So, for example, the Chinese National Chemical Corporation, better known as ChemChina, bought Israel's uh, agrochemicals manufacturer, Maktashim Agan Industries, otherwise known as Adama. And then in 2014, China's Bright Foods acquired the national dairy brand Nuva, which any Israeli child knows that <laughs> this, this brand is very well known. And then in 2018, China's Fosun uh, investment group purchased Ahava, which is known for producing the Dead Sea 
products. So there has been a series of high-level acquisitions, which shows China's keen interest in Israel's innovation ecosystem, as well as innovation technology. I hadn't realized that a Chinese company purchased Nuva. Now, uh, every time I'm in Israel and I'm eating cheese or uh, or yogurt, I'll be thinking of uh, of China. Mercy, let me ask you, this visit by uh, Vice President Wang is the first time in nearly two decades that someone of his stature has come uh, from China to Israel. That's significant, right? It is. And with any Chinese visit, symbolism and stature are core characteristics and they, there's a lot of meaning in who the Chinese send to any country. So as you rightly pointed out, the fact that Wang Qifan was sent holds a lot of symbolism, as well as given his stature, uh, I would say strategic meaning. And by this, I mean Wang Qifan and Xi Jinping have known each other for 40 years. He is a trusted, I'll say, conciliary to Xi Jinping. And the fact that he was sent... Uh, says a lot in terms of China's view toward Israel, the long-term strategic relationship as well as the relationship in developing innovation, cooperation, free trade, uh, and research exchange. Now, there was another significant figure from China who was in Israel this week, and that's Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba. I believe he's the wealthiest man in China. It's one thing for state-to-state relations to be so good, but um, does it say something that these kinds of prominent businessmen are also traveling to Israel? Absolutely. Jack Ma's presence on this visit in October really also reinforces the fact of commercial development between China and Israel. So there is the high-level government-to-government representation as well as the business-to-business. And given Jack Ma's stature both in China and on the global stage, the founder of Alibaba, it speaks volumes that he accompanied Wang Qisan on this trip. And he had already visited Israel earlier this year, I believe in May. So there's a lot of cachet with Jack Ma's participation on this delegate, recent delegation. And it also is a signal to Israel that China is taking a long-term view of strengthening the relationship and expanding cooperation in many sectors. China is expanding its influence just about everywhere in the world uh, very intentionally, and that includes the Middle East. What's the Chinese policy goal in that part of the world, and how does Israel fit into it? Well, China has had a longstanding engagement with the Middle East, and uh, we ha- there's, a, there's a historic importance there, the China-Arab relationship. Uh, but with Israel, its, its view is there's two aspects here. One is Israel's importance as a source of innovation technology in the region. It has the strongest economy in the region as well. And the fact that it is a innovator in infrastructure and other technologies is important to China. This fits in with its current initiative, the Belt and Road Initiative, otherwise known as BRI, which is known as a modern day Silk Road a blueprint, if you will, for 
a new global supply chain that spans the Middle East, Central Asia, and Europe. And Middle Eastern countries are involved as well as Israel uh, in this overall BRI initiative. So overall, China is looking very closely at the Middle East, both for natural resources as well as part of the whole overall expansion of Chinese investment and infrastructure development across this region. The most important relationship that Israel has with any other country uh, in the world is its relationship with the U.S. And as China rises, there are worries of a new Cold War between America um, and China. And already we've seen this in the kind of first uh, shots across the bow of of the trade war um, that President Trump keeps talking about. And the Cold War, of course, was well known for the different spheres of influence that the U.S. U.S. and the Soviet Union maintained in different parts of the world. What impact might growing ties between Israel and China have on Israel's relationship with the U.S.? That's a very good question. If we're looking at it, particularly in the in the current context of the U.S.-China trade dispute, uh, the question of technology is at the forefront here in, in this overall trade, um, the trade tensions between the United States and China. If U.S.-China trade and technology relations become increasingly restricted and contentious, China's interest in Israel's innovation ecosystem could potentially pose a litmus test to U.S.-Israel relations. So, for example... China's projected to surpass the United States as Israel's top source of a foreign direct investment in the near future. And then Israel, as a startup nation and a key U.S. ally in the Middle East, will face high stakes um, in this timely window of strategic opportunity. So as China and Israel's relationships grow and become stronger, the U.S. definitely is going to pay attention to this. Because China has made it clear that it wants to be a leader, a global leader on artificial intelligence. Israel is a recognized leader in AI. And AI technologies are part of defense uh, development. So there are security implications possibly to any kind of dual technology. And um, the U.S., as, as you rightly pointed out, as Israel's key security ally in the region and advocate globally, we'll be watching very closely on how close China and Israel become. And we will be watching that closely as well. Mercy, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your insights today, and of course, for your continued work with AJC's Asia Pacific Institute. You're welcome. We're hard at work here in AJC's Learner Studio, lining up lots of great content for the weeks ahead. Right now, we're bringing you an oldie but a goodie. This is one of my favorite AJC Passport conversations of all time, my chat with McKay Coppins. McKay is a staff writer at The Atlantic, and in January, he published the definitive profile on Vice President Mike Pence. When McKay and I spoke, Pence had just declared, in Jerusalem, in a speech to the Knesset, 
that the U.S. would open an embassy in Jerusalem by the end of 2019. Whether this is your first time hearing this interview or you're listening again, I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. McKay, we're glad to have you on. Thanks for having me. This isn't just presidential politics, right? The vice president has been a deep and abiding supporter of the state of Israel since well before the 2016 campaign. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, while I was researching the story, I found a 2002 interview he had given with Congressional Quarterly, the Capitol Hill newspaper, when he was kind of a young member of the House. And in that interview, he said, my support for Israel stems largely from my personal faith. In the Bible, God promises Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. So, you know, I think throughout his life, he has seen Israel as many conservative evangelicals in this country see Israel, which is as not just a political issue or a diplomatic issue or a geopolitical issue, but as, you know, a matter of personal faith and a fulfillment of God's promise in the Bible. And I think that as with many other issues in Pence's life, his faith really informs his position and his thinking on Israel. You mentioned the rest of the evangelical Christian community in America, which is quite a significant group. 25% of our American population identifies as evangelical. How widespread is Pence's ideology in American politics? Are there other major American politicians who share his outlook? Sure. I mean, I don't know that they would all speak as openly about how their biblical views shape their position on, on Israel. But I mean, look, if you're looking at the coalition of political support for Israel in the United States, I would have to say that the conservative evangelical community makes up a sizable portion of that coalition. You go back to George W. Bush, uh, certainly, you know, more recent figures like Ted Cruz, Sarah Palin. This is a strain of thought that kind of runs through American conservatism, and it's really become kind of a litmus test issue for a lot of conservative Christian voters, especially as they're kind of sizing up presidential candidates or other candidates for office. George W. Bush, who you just mentioned, was probably the most famous evangelical politician pre-Pence, and he's remembered as a staunch supporter of Israel. Did he have the same kind of religious conviction informing his feelings toward Israel as Pence does? I think so. I mean, if you look back at the speeches that George Bush gave or the rhetoric he used around Israel, there obviously was a non-religious case that conservatives would advance. You know, you'd hear arguments about Israel's place as a free market democracy in a region that's broadly hostile to American interests. And so there are a lot of practical and or secular reasons. But when you heard George W. Bush talk about it, he would often frame his agenda for the Middle East in terms of divine destiny. And you'd hear Republicans in his administration and, and Republican surrogates of George W. Bush talk about the promised land. And it was clear, I think, that religious and biblical views played a role at that time, too. McKay, while that stream of Christian theology does call for Jews to gather in Israel, it doesn't ultimately end well uh, for the <laughs> Jews that do. They, I think, were supposed to be wiped out in Armageddon. So it's a tricky question, but what is stronger in the vice president, his obvious affection for Israel or his desire to see the second coming of Jesus? <laughs> I think you would probably have to talk to, to ask that question to Mike Pence. Um, but you're right. I mean, this is the, the kind of central criticism of what some call, you know, dispensationalist theology or, or that conservative Christians often embrace is that while the creation of Israel could be read as the 
fulfillment of biblical prophecy, the story doesn't end that way, right? And, you know, certainly you hear some people say some very extreme and or unfiltered voices on the Christian right will talk about gathering Jews in Israel and then converting them all to Christianity. I, you would not hear that as much from mainstream politicians like Mike Pence. Whether he believes it or not, it's not something that you're going to hear him talk about, and certainly not something that is going to be worked into the presidential platform or the White House's agenda, I don't think. Well, speaking of the White House, there's been much speculation about who is really at the wheel in this White House. Should those people pleased with the Trump administration's decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital be addressing their thank you notes to the vice president? (laughs) I think there is a good case to be made that Mike Pence deserves some of the either credit or blame for the White House's Israel policy. Jared Kushner also obviously, I think, played a role. Ivanka Trump did as well. There is a a small cohort of advisors who have the presidency around these issues. But, you know, Mike Pence, I think if you zoom out a little bit, he has shown himself to have a certain measure of influence on issues related particularly to the religious right in America. So the issues that they care about most, whether that's religious freedom for conservative Christians, whether that's issues like transgenders in the military or, you know, gay rights or abortion or conservative judges, those are issues that Mike Pence often is taking a more hands-on role with. And I'm told that the president is not blind to the fact that his most loyal supporters in this first year of his presidency have been white evangelical Christians. And so he wants to keep them happy. So I do think that Mike Pence, because of that dynamic, has been able to play an outsized role on these issues. And and certainly this issue or the broad set of issues around Israel are top of mind for a lot of figures on the religious right. One thing that many of us noticed as we watched Vice President Pence's speech at the Knesset was the way that he highlighted a desire to support Christians in the Middle East, even though, as the vice president himself noted in his speech, often it's Muslims in the Middle East, as well as other religious minorities who are the most persecuted communities. What should we make of that? Yeah, this is a fault line within the religious right in America, because on the one hand, you have this long history of bulletproof support for Israel, right? This is kind of a a plank of the platform for conservative Christians in America. On the other hand, you then have kind of this growing movement, and I would say that this has gotten more attention in the last five or ten years, where there's more people talking about persecuted Christians in the Middle East and, and the need to stand up for that. And there's been some tension. I remember in I want to say in the lead up to the 2016 Republican primaries and kind of the pre-primaries, there's a lot of debate about how much attention, how much priority should be placed on helping those persecuted Christians as opposed to just focusing on Israel. This has been a a growing divide, and I think that it'll it'll continue to be a flashpoint in the intra-Republican debate that is taking place here. McKay, thank you so much for your insights and your time. Uh, We hope to have you on again soon. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for our closing segment, Good for the Jews, where each week I share one final thought about a recent development in the world and try to answer that age-old question. Is it good for the Jews? Scrunchies. Good for the Jews? In the aftermath of the confirmation of Justice Brett Kavanaugh, the pundits declared the Supreme Court to be just another partisan institution. 
The highest court in the land now has a rock-solid conservative majority. The two youngest justices at 51 and 53 are conservatives Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. The two oldest justices at 80 and 85 are liberals Stephen Breyer and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But we're not talking about politics. We're talking about scrunchies. That's because with the holiday of Hanukkah quickly approaching, Rabbi Yael Buchler decided to send Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, whose love of scrunchies is well known, a scrunchie with a special pattern celebrating the Festival of Lights. Justice Ginsburg, or RBG as she is known, is a towering figure in the realm of jurisprudence. She was the first female professor at Columbia Law School, argued crucial civil rights cases in the employ of the ACLU, and then was appointed first to the D.C. Circuit by President Carter and then to the Supreme Court in 1993 by President Clinton. At her core, she's always been a Jewish woman from Brooklyn. Perhaps that's why she was so excited to receive her Hanukkah scrunchie, addressing her reply to, My dear rabbi, and promising to wear it not just on Hanukkah, but throughout the year. However you feel about the court, a few things are true. RBG is a great American Jew who has created a lasting legacy that she will hopefully continue to build for many years to come. And scrunchies are good for the Jews. You can subscribe to AJC Passport on iTunes or on Stitcher. Follow us on SoundCloud or learn more at AJC.org passport. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at passport at AJC.org. If you like this podcast, be sure to rate it and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sefi Kogan. This episode is brought to you by AJC, the American Jewish Committee. Our producer is Alex Zeldin. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. Tune in next week for another episode of AJC Passport.